Welcome back to the Chin Music Show from the Aquarius Home Services Studio. This is TalkNorth.com. I'm Jim Suhan from the Star Tribune. Lavelle Neal is a big part of this show. He's also from the Star Tribune. Roy Smalley is, of course, the biggest part of this show. He's on vacation. He may or may not check in during the course of the show, but Lavelle and I wanted to get to what I think is a, listen, We when it comes to the Twins, everybody talks pitching all the time. I think the outfield is fascinating. The 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 bodies and the names they have, the fact that it doesn't look like they're going to trade Kepler anymore. They signed Gallo when it looked like they already had a lot of options out there. Some of those players might end up playing first base and DH. They just have so many different ways they can go. And with the signing of Carlos Correa, they also have now Royce Lewis and uh, you know Brooks Lee, people like that who are probably going to be corner players someplace and could figure into the future outfield. And they have some other great young outfield prospects. It just It's really an interesting dynamic. Let's get into it here. Uh, thanks to our sponsor, TSR Injury Law and Minnesota Propane. Again, thank you to Aquarius Home Services. So I was talking to a Twins official recently, Lavelle, and they said the perception that they were going to push for a trade of Kepler was never quite right. Now, of course, if somebody offered the right exchange for Kepler, they'd be willing to trade him, but they were not just looking to move him to move him. I think the opening day lineup, assuming good health, is going to be Gallo in left field, Buxton in center field, and Kepler in right field. And they think that will be a great, probably the best defensive outfield in baseball. Those are three excellent defenders with Buxton being maybe the best outfielder in baseball. And they, you know, when we were doing last week's podcast, uh, and I was wondering who their backup center fielder was going to be, they, they just signed Taylor, who's going to be an exceptional uh, backup to, uh, and alternate uh, center fielder. And then they have all these young guys who can hit, who can also play corner outfield. I, I think this is really fascinating. I think that uh, I think that they're looking at wanting. They have a pitching staff that tends to give up balls in play and fly balls. They want to have the best possible defensive outfield, and right now they have it. They definitely do. And the Kepler uh, situation, the development is very interesting because um, regardless of how they're going to shape it now, I mean, there was a stretch there where they were willing to trade Kepler and Kepler's name was in trade rumors and with, with teams like the Yankees and whatnot showing some interest. So uh, there was definitely talk. I just don't think the Twins got what they thought was a, a fair value for Kepler, a guy who has value because of his defense, um, has, do has, does has a chance to hit the ball over a fence a few times, and who's only making $8 million this year. I mean, it's, it's cost-effective to have him, and I think the Twins saw value in that. But they didn't get what they wanted. So, uh, you know, last week we were at the Twins media luncheon. They were like, we kind of like the way things look now with, with Kepler uh, in right and Gallo in left and Buxton at seven at center. You think about all the defensive runs saved um, – that those guys have had during their career so far and what that's going to look like collectively. Um, not too many balls are going to fall in between this group. They all have uh, great instincts out there. They all have great arms. You know, Gallo has a cannon. Kepler can yep. throw. Buxton, elite arm. You know, he threw 97 miles an hour in high school as a pitcher. Um, the, the other teams, uh, you know, going taking extra bases will be at a team's, uh, an opponent's uh, risk. Um, Scoring from third and fly balls would be an issue, um, but just you know, be, being able to race balls down in a gap, uh, maybe holding a single to a double—that's all pitcher-friendly stuff there. That's going to help a fly ball staff. And then you got Michael Taylor. If Buxton, you know, heaven forbid, is injured, he can go in and play center field because he's a go glover too. Um, he could fill in in the, in the corners as well. This is a 
this is a very interesting development um, because I and I think I wrote about this for last week. It looks like pitching and defense have been automated more than the offense. And this Twins team, it's going to be more uh, geared toward winning that way, which isn't bad. You can win with pitching and defense and enough offense. Uh, as we saw with the Bomber squad, uh, you, you can't you only go so far on Bombas and uh, and and not have the right pitching or shaky defense here and there. So um, it's a, uh, it's a development that I didn't, I didn't see coming a couple months ago, but now that it's happened, you guys say, I'm curious to see how this defense looks at like with three above average and one elite defensive player in it. Also interesting how they will use first base and DH. Uh, obviously if Kirilov gets completely healthy and becomes the hitter, they want him to be that they expect him to be. He's probably your first baseman. Uh, then you have DH, which we know that some days Buxton's going to be your DH to get him off his feet. Um, maybe every once in a while Correa will DH to get him off his feet. But then you have all the other options, Larnick, Walner, uh, you know, Kyle Garlick, don't sleep on him. They need more right-handed bats. Uh, and then they, you know, then they have the slew of almost major league ready players, Royce Lewis, Brooks Lee, uh, you know, I've been told Austin Martin could end up being an outfielder. And there, there's and and Nick Gordon did very well whenever he was asked to play the outfield last year. Uh, who do you think, uh, like, given uh, everything, everybody being healthy, who is the opening day first baseman in DH? Do you think if everybody's healthy, I will go with Alex Kirilov as the opening day uh, first baseman. I will go with uh, Trevor Larnick as the opening day designated hitter um but that's just by a hair over matt walner i mean those are two guys who who um you who uh you know shown the ability to hit the ball a long way and matt walner has a cannon for an arm too so if they need him to play the outfield you know that's that he's no slouching out in the uh, in the outfield as well so but the wild card is, is kirloff because apparently you know last week it was revealed that he still has some soreness in that surgically repaired wrist which you know, is a kind of a mini red flag for me because it's been several months since he had this procedure. Um, and if that happens, we may see Gallo play first, which is fine. He can play first, but it takes him away from what he does best. You know, so then you'll see either Larnick or Walner uh, in left and then uh, the other at DH. So um, so I'm predicting Kirilov and, and Larnick in, uh, in the lineup. It's a heavy left-handed lineup with those two guys. Um but, you know, this is a right-handed world, so a lot of times it's going to work out. <laughs> so right. let's no, see how that, it plays. That's very true. The other interesting thing about a potential lineup is, uh, you know, two of your very few right-handed bats need to bat right near the top, Buxton and Correa. So do you split them up? I mean, I, I was looking at possible lineups, and this only really works if Kirilov is healthy and ready to have a big year. You could go Buxton, right-hander, Polanco switch, Correa right-hander, Kirilov left-hander, Miranda right-hander, Gallo or Kepler, and then then things kind of fall into place. If you don't have, uh, but I don't know, what what's your view? How would you like to see the lineup play out? I was just thinking about this last night, Jim. How would you how would you fill out the lineup card? And I agree. I think uh, some combination of Buxton and Correa have to go two four. Um, I, I would like to see Polanco lead off because. Uh, you know, he takes good at bats, and I, I think that's a trait that bodes well for a leadoff hitter. That leaves a hole in the three spot. And I, I'm still trying to figure out who, do, who 
who do I trust in the three three hole hitter? Is, is Kirilov ready to be that guy? Does it have to be uh, Larnick? You know, I mean, not Larnick. Does it have to be Gal? Uh, uh, not Gallo. Uh, Kepler. Does it have to be Kepler? Uh, I don't know. Um, that's that's the tough spot for me. If you go, you may you know, and Rocco, Norman Rocco, he has he let off Kepler before. He could lead off Kepler and put Polanco third, and then Correa fourth, and then go you know uh, Larnick slash whoever fifth, Miranda sixth, uh, then uh, uh, Gallo seventh, your catcher eighth, and now I don't I can't remember what at least for the ninth hole hitter. So um, it could be something like that. But um, I, I I'm gonna be curious to see if if Rocco settles on a, a leadoff hitter. He he likes the flexibility to you know change it up, so he, it's hard for him to commit to things like that. But I would say Polanco probably best profiles as a leadoff hitter, but you know someone else may be better suited to lead off, and then Polanco would bat third, and that maybe for the greater good of the batting order. So Rocco's got some options. I'm I'm curious to see what's going to happen. And the thing about Kepler is terrible on base percentage, terrible. Um, 318 last year, 317 for a career. I just don't think you can put anybody with that profile in the leadoff spot. Uh, Rock, Rocco about, listed him as one of the leadoff options. Remember, I asked him. I know, I know. How but many, he, how many guys but, he has? But he wasn't looking at a computer screen when he's talking. I bet by the time he gets to watching spring training games, he has revised that view. Uh, you mentioned think, and here's the other thing. option. Yeah, maybe. Um, but he draws here's, locks. He just this is what I was going to say, though. Uh, Byron Buxton, you know, in a perfect analytics world, he bats second, third, or fourth because he's your best power hitter. He, uh, you, you want him theoretically up when there are people on base. You want him batting in the first inning. You want a chance of a two-run homer to start off the, to get the first inning going. But Buxton seems to like batting leadoff. He seems to thrive as a leadoff hitter. And when he bats leadoff, there's a chance of him getting one or two extra at-bats uh, a week. Uh, and he might win you a game with that one extra at bat a week. I, even though I would rather uh, the lineup balances better if you have a leadoff hitter who's a left-handed hitter out of this group. My guess is they just say Buxton likes it there. He performs well there. Let's just put him there and figure out afterward. Well, another thing too, Jim, we have to remember: um, if there's a left-handed starter uh, on the mound for the opposing team, the Twins have five guys who can hit right-handed. Uh, Buxton, Correa, Miranda, the catcher, and Polanco. Polanco, true. So that's not bad. You, yeah. you, you can you can you can uh, have a balanced lineup uh, against left-handed starter. So even though I'm obsessing over having a lefty leadoff, you know Buxton batting leadoff is and Polanco, Polanco second and Correa third and go from there. You could shape a batting order um, uh, from from that. Um, I just like Polanco's. Uh, quality of bats and that would be good for someone like Buxton. But and I think if you bat any, if you bat, you know, the White Sox did this with Frank Thomas. He, he was uh, always batted third. Cause he thought, they thought that he had a chance to get his team up one, nothing, but in theory, you want your best hitter, your most impactful hitter to get as many at bats as possible. So if Buxton's batting first or second, I think that achieves that purpose. Um, but you know, you suggesting Buxton as Lee up guy is not the worst thing in the world. Cause you can, you can balance out that lineup against a left-handed starter, and uh, you won't have to worry about doing that against a left-handed starter. I mean, a left-handed starter, you won't have to do worry about that as much against a right-handed starter because of all the lefties you have. 
The other interesting thing about modern baseball is we really don't expect many starting pitchers to go more than five or six innings. And then you're going to see a succession of relievers. So how much do you, and of course, it's still important to get a lead. So you still want to have your best possible lineup against that starting pitcher. But, you know, he, the guy could be out in the fourth inning too. You could be adapting to a, a, a pitcher throwing from the diff, a different uh, side as early as the fourth or fifth inning. That's that is, uh, that's very true. The average major league start, I still, I believe, is five and two-thirds innings. It may have slumped to five and a third. You, you, you think about the Twins rotation last year. You know how Dylan Bundy and and, um, and your buddy Chris Archer, you know, drugged down to the average start, <laughs> the average batters per start, um, with with their short outings, um, you know, t- each time through the order. So yeah, um, you're right. I mean, you ha- I mean, this, in this day and age, you have to be prepared. A hitter could see four different pitchers. I mean, I remember talking to Joe Mar about that. He said that was the biggest thing that changed during his career is that when he started. You know, he had a good chance of seeing that starter three times a night. And he said by the time he was done playing, he would see he could see as many as four different pitches and four at bats, you know. And so um, you, you got to be you, adaptability is going to be key with with, uh, with lineup construction in this day and age. And, uh, you know, and usually, too, when you see a new pitcher in this day and age, you're seeing somebody throws 95 to 100. Uh, they're coming in throwing bullets. And I'm always reminded of the, you know, the great Tony Oliva, uh, you know, story or, or anecdote. He, you know, he would say, hey, I don't care who's on the mountain, can't fetch Hunter, Jim Palmer, you know, whoever, Vita Blue. Um, if I see somebody four times, I'm going to have them figured out by the fourth, fourth at bat. If I see them a fifth time, I'm going to nail them. You know, uh, you don't really get that opportunity. I mean, we can we can all bemoan the state of modern baseball where the pitcher doesn't, you know, take the ball and try to get to the ninth inning. But the, the reality is it is hard to be a hitter when you might face three or four different pitchers and all of them are throwing hard. I know. This is, I asked Derek Bobby this. I think you were around for that, too. I said, what what uh, what constitutes a horse in today's day? And what pitchers what does a pitcher get to be called a horse? You know, because um, no, none of them are throwing 230 innings anymore. You know, uh, is 200 innings still the magical number is 180 now acceptable. Cause that's what Pablo Lopez did last year. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that has changed. And I'm, I'm curious to, I'm curious to uh, talk to people and get an idea of what they think constitutes what, what, what makes you look at a pitcher and say that that guy's a horse when, you know, uh, outings are shortened and bullpens are utilized. Uh, look at this. You had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight pitches in all of baseball got to 200 innings last year. Eight. Um, Shane Bieber, Merrill Kelly, Garrett Cole, Framber Valdez, Corbin Burns, Miles Miklas, wow, from Cardinals, Aaron Nola, and Sandy Alcantara, who was a unicorn. Uh, so, um, so yeah, from a, a, a manager standpoint, you know, your lineup has to be prepared. You know, uh, scouting reports, you got to be prepared for so many different pitches a game now. And um, from a pitcher standpoint, you know, um, if you get through six, you know, you get you get a chance to get pat on the back for doing your job. And it's remarkable because I thought the same thing you thought when they traded for Pablo Lopez is, oh, good, 380 innings last year, workhorse. And then I thought about it. I thought, well, if you make 32 starts and pitch any, and I'm just, I'm not talking about him specifically. I'm just talking about kind of league averages. If a healthy starting pitcher makes 32 starts and pitches 180 innings, that means he didn't 
average five full innings and outing. And I just called right. this guy a workhorse. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing how much things have changed. I would still, I still love the idea of having a rotation filled with guys who will get you to the seventh inning uh, every night. And then you are using your best relievers in specific roles. You're not just trying to fill in the middle innings. I don't, I just don't know if we're ever going to get back to that though, because all the metrics, all the numbers say you don't want most pitchers facing a lineup for the third time. And you're going to get some, you're going to get them out of there before that happens. Uh, I just think that every team needs a surge protector in their rotation. And that means to stop the surge of relievers coming into games after you. Uh, a guy that can get in the seventh inning, maybe maybe go seven and a third, seven and two thirds, just to keep your bullpen from, from being taxed. But as we see how baseball is operating today and pitchers being DFA left and right, you know, you got to assemble guys at your minor league, at your AAA affiliate who can come up and kind of plug in uh, the, the spots in the, in the, in the bullpen when guys have been, you know, worn out or injured or, uh, Oh yeah. Or you're just throwing a lot of innings. So, um, but, uh, I think every, every rotation should have a guy. And I think, I I know we kind of, we've moved on from the, sh- the off-field discussion and talk about, no, pitching, we go back but, to uh, but you know, I look at the twins rotation. I see five guys who could, could, if they pitch well, could win 15 games. I think they, yeah. I think all five guys are capable of having a 15 win season. And that's pretty doggone good. Are all of them going to do it? The odds say no, you know, but you may get a couple guys, you know, I'm curious to see how Joe Ryan takes another step forward. Sonny Gray and Tyler Molly have that ability in them. Pablo Lopez is trending in that direction, you know, and Kenta Maeda, you know, he's going to have no restrictions and I don't blame the twins. I think you throw him till he blows, you know, he's, he's 32 years old. He's coming back from Tommy John surgery. Um, there's no reason to baby him at his age and his experience. So you throw him out there and let him go as far as he can. Uh, but, you know, he proved in 2020 what type of pitcher he can be. So I, mean, this, I think that's the exciting thing about this rotation because all five guys have the capability there to um, to get to, you know, 14, 15 wins. Thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton. Morton and thank you for listening to TalkNorth.com. The best way to listen to any show you like at the network, subscribe to your favorite podcast app. It is free. It's also easy. You can go to TalkNorth.com. You can see all of our shows, all the archives of all of our shows. Roy Smalley's told some great stories through the years on this podcast. We'll try to get him to revive some of them this offseason. Uh, we have uh, Cheryl Reeve, Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, Roy Smalley, Lavelle Neal, Jeff Diamond, John Millay, Dave Lee, Joe Anderson, uh, John Krasinski on both the Wolves and the Vikings. We have uh, tons of hockey content, the Pross Box with Nate Prosser. We have On the Bench Guys. We have Bar Down Beauties to go with the Russo Show. And we have lots of outdoor co- uh, content. Again, thanks to Brandon. Thank you for listening. We do appreciate it. Thanks also to... TSR Injury Law, 612-TSR-TIME. That's all you need to know if you're injured, 612-TSR-TIME. Also, check out propane, Minnesota propane. Uh, great way to go uh, for all, all the, you know, it, it sounds like it's just another kind of gas. is actually environmentally friendly and very responsible. It's a great option for all your heating, cooling, and other energy needs, Minnesota propane. And we are brought to you today from the Aquarius Home Services Studio. Uh, do you expect, I mean, I don't expect any more big moves from the Twins, but this is the time of year when some free agents start falling through the cracks and people bring some extra people to, to spring training. What are you expecting between now and the start of spring training? 
Uh, I think I, I still remember uh, you know Derek Falvey and uh, he gets to the stage every year and he's looking to buy extra wins. And I think that that search will not end for him. I think he'll still be out there looking to see if there's a move he can make to to add a win or two. And that could be a reliever. Um, I don't see them. It looks like they're stock full of position players. I don't see them bringing another position guy, but I can see another reliever being thrown into the mix here. They did talk a little bit to Michael Fulmer about a return, but I don't know how far that's gotten. Um, there's still some decent pitchers out there. It depends on you know what they're looking for. Um, I think I was I think Andrew Chafin is still uh, available, but he's a lefty, and I think the Twins are happy with Theobar and Giovanni Moran um, as the lefties in that bullpen. Especially Moran had a really good September, and they think he had the type of month he could take off from. But you know, uh, Chafin's been pretty good in the past here. So if they make a move, it's going to be for uh, a guy who could be, you know, a, a mid, a mid rotate, a mid innings stabilizer, uh, bridge to like the back innings uh, type pitcher. That's why I think uh, they're kind of still on the lookout for. It's going to be really interesting. Let's get a final thought from Lavelle. We'll be back with Roy and Lavelle next week. We'll start previewing what we actually expect out of this team. Uh, thanks for listening to TalkNorth.com. We do appreciate it. Again, subscribe to your favorite podcast app, or you can just go to the website, TalkNorth.com. All right, Lavelle, each of us get a final thought on any subject you like, including music, uh, music, popular arts, culture, whatever you like. Uh, I am fascinated by the, the amount of money and the resources the Twins commit to keeping Target Field among one of the top facilities in baseball. Um, they were expanding their scoreboard um, next uh, this season to be the sixth largest in baseball. Basically, if you look at last year's scoreboard, and if you notice, there was like four large average, uh, two large advertisements on each end of the scoreboard. Basically, that's going to become a scoreboard. And that's going to expand uh, its, its size exponentially. I also think it's also in response to the huge ass high rise that's going up across the street <laughs> from the ballpark, <laughs> trying to kind of kind of block. I don't know if they're trying to block people from that building one day looking in and watching games from there um, or just to try to uh, eliminate that look in the background. Um, they also have forty five hundred. Uh, markings at the stadium, either a Twins logo or uh, or some sort of thing that says Twins on it, that has to be changed. And they're going to pay to have all these changed over into the new font, the new format they're using for the uniforms. It, it's hilarious. And they're redoing the Minnie and Paul shaking hands across the Mississippi sign, and they're putting a victory medallion ball on top of the um, on top of the the, the the scoreboard tower in right field. Um, they refuse to quit when it comes to uh, adding on to the stadium. And I, I can't wait to see how all this is going to look. But it, I, I just remember, I, I, I just can't believe they're going to take the time and the money to redo every logo that's in the stadium. 4,500 of them. And they've got to go one by one and convert them to the new style. I, I find that rather amazing. So, but uh, it's, it's, this is mean to me. This is one reason why it's a top five ballpark in baseball. No doubt about it. They've kept it up beautifully. It's it's just a great place, and uh, I, I like the fact that the poll ads aren't constantly going back to the public and trying to get things financed for upgrades. They they handle it themselves. It's not all out of their pie. It's it's a complicated deal, but the good thing is they're not just constantly going back to the public. Uh, they and they've spent their own money on the ballpark. Uh, in addition to the other funds they have available to them. Uh, my thing is, and I say this every year, I'm really amazed that the twins 
can pull off Twins Fest and the Twins Caravan. They get people who live in California, Texas, Venezuela, Dominican Republic, uh, you know, all these other places, all these warm weather places, Florida. They get them to fly up here in the dead of winter and drive around the state and go to Twins Fest and sign autographs and hang out. And, and you know, I guess we should expect players to be willing to do that. But the fact that they actually pull it off year after year, I just think it's a cool thing. You know, I've, I, I have friends who live out state. I do radio hits out state. And they're like, oh, last night uh, the Twins Caravan came through and they brought two players and two executives and they sat there and talked for an hour. I mean, that's just, you know, it's smart. It's good marketing. It's also it just shows that the twins don't hide. You know, that is the one thing you and I have discovered, Lavelle, uh, both having been baseball beat writers and covered other sports. You know, the twins don't hide. And so many people in so many other sports, you just cannot get anywhere near them. You cannot have a, a an unguarded conversation. You can't have an off the record BS, you know, session. It's all just structured and uptight. And the twins still have that personal touch about them. You're right, Jim. Uh, and it's it's their efforts to you know galvanize the five state region, you know, into Twins territory. I stayed downtown uh, the night of the Diamond Awards, and I got up the next morning to go uh, to the luncheon and the beginning of Twins Fest Live. And there was a group behind me, and they're all from Duluth, and they're in town for Twins Fest weekend. They all are wearing the new jerseys, you know, and you know that's the type of reach this this organization's had in this region. Uh, it's rather fascinating to see, you know, how they they're able to bind uh, the fan base from different from North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa and uh, in Wisconsin and, you know, the Iron Range. They come from everywhere to support this team. And Twins Fest is a very interesting. Uh, it's a rather uh, fascinating thing to observe, to watch all these people from different region parts of the region coming in the dead winter to celebrate baseball. It's uh, it, it's, it's truly what makes uh uh, the Twins are a unique team. Thanks, Lavelle. Appreciate it. Great talking to you. We'll have Roy back for his view on the lineup, the outfield, and all the other issues with the Twins. I'm sure they're going to do something. Last time we were, we recorded a podcast, uh, and I toward the end I said, oh, boy, they need a backup center fielder. They basically had signed, they had gotten Michael Taylor about before the end of the podcast. I'm sure there are more moves coming. I think it's going to be a fascinating year. We appreciate you listening to TalkNorth.com. Thanks once again to Brandon Morton, and uh, thanks for – I think I've said thanks for listening 18 times today, but I actually mean it. Thanks for listening. Me too.